This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Brian Gray of The Blamed. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? My name is Dan. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast. I don't know how much more of a uh, intro that you need. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of people that need no intro, but I'm going to give one anyway. Uh, we've got Brian Gray from The Blamed, from The Satire, but uh, he's probably most famous for his band Rocks and Pink Cement. How you doing tonight, Brian? Good, man. Dan, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while now, so it's really cool you're able to make time for us. Yeah, man. You know, I looked over my super, super busy schedule, and, uh, you know, I, I was able to pencil you guys in, you know, uh, because I, I couldn't imagine anybody not wanting to talk to me, you know? Yeah, so- yeah it's just we... Your publicist said no a lot. Yeah, I had to fire that publicist, you know, yeah. <laughs> because I wasn't getting any interviews. And I and I know that the world wants more of what I've got going on here. Um dude, in all seriousness though, uh I, I would say like likewise uh with you. I know that the, you know when I reached out to you for the first time to do the podcast, um, you're like, Yeah, I can't like even like speak. <laughs> and I was like, That's fine, I'll just do all the talking. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I still can't speak, but so far, nobody seems to mind my voice. Well, I'm going to share this now, now that we're live. So I, uh, I got a, I got a DM from Jesse, uh, from the satire who he was all like, Hey, did you, ch- did you check out, uh, uh, Mick from Zayo, uh, ha- you know, his podcast. And I was all like, uh, no, I haven't listened to that one yet. Um, I'm, I've been meaning to, and he's like, Oh, well, he's like, Brian was totally on that podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. I'll check it out, you know? And he's like, he's like, yeah, but like, you need to get him to come on your podcast. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I asked him that already. He's like, yeah, but now you can like, you can nag him and, and, and like back it up. Yeah. You can rub his nose in it. I just feel like my voice sounds horrible, which it does. But then, um, the, the backstory to the, you know, this kind of, but the Mick and, uh, Jesse thing or not Jesse, the Mick and Glenn thing was the, uh, Jake, my friend Jake runs a coffee roasting company and he was um, their guest and they wanted to surprise him with me as a, you know, hey, here's your old friend from 94. Jake played on the Blame 21 record and the Left Out Right Kills record with me. Yeah. And then, um, so I went on there to surprise Jake and his internet crashed the whole time and I <laughs> feel like the podcast ended up just being with me. The funny thing is I keep forgetting to listen to that one, so. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was just funny because he's like, "Yeah, now you can, yeah, now you can just nag him." And I was all like, "Well, I mean, I don't like to nag people, but um, yeah, <laughs> you know." But yeah, it was fun. Um, it, it's fun finally getting you on here because uh, there's so much history, man. Like this is one of the biggest things uh, with with a lot of the interviews that I've done over the past year. Um, it's always like I'm talking to somebody, and inevitably they're like yeah, you know, I was doing this and this and this. And then Brian Gray called and asked me if I wanted to do this. And then somebody, you know, and then it'd be like totally different week, totally different person. Yeah. And then Brian Gray called and and was like, Hey, you should try this. And uh, I think clank put it best whenever he goes, yeah, dude, this entire, this entire music scene, this like giant extended family that we have going on here is like 50 shades of Brian Gray. Yeah. No, that's just my Valentine's day post. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, well, I just was involved in, inception i guess of a lot of it like um because i went back to fact check your uh blamed 
discography discussion. Am I saying that right? Yep. Discography and, disgusting, um, I think is, is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the um you talked about you had never heard the Rocks and Pink Cement demos, so I sent it to you earlier. And um so the fun fact is there's a live album in there. That live album is us opening for Scattered Few in Tacoma, Washington, which was this pivotal concert as far as history goes of Christian music because Brandon was still DJing at his college radio station. Billy Power was there. Mikey Bridges from Sometimes Sunday was there. So all this Pacific Northwest things that eventually even spurred into the start of Tooth and Nail was all at that concert. And my crappy high school band is the opening act. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I actually listened to that demo uh, probably about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, uh, something yeah. like that. So I'm uh, now an expert on that band. Um, yes. And uh, so in listening to Brian Patton's uh, episode of As the Story Grows, uh, you said that uh, <laughs> you were quoted as saying uh, that you guys sounded like a heavier faith no more. I do not hear that. <laughs> no, I know. Well, it's, it's, you'd have to be there kind of, but there was slap bass. There was some chuggy guitars, but we played fast. Yeah. We, there's like, there's aspects of scattered few. There's aspects of Primus. There's aspects of Jane's addiction. So it's just, was that timestamp. But then in my mind, the faith, the more was like the heavy band of that crew. Right. The chili peppers were almost punk, but they weren't really. Yeah. I mean, they were punk, but they, they never went into like real punk parts. I mean, they did here and there, but not much. So I, we were doing what I felt was missing. That's always been part of my musical journey is, okay, I hear what I miss, what I want to hear now in this groovy funk music in the 90s. I want to hear them do the whole bounce, you know, right. I wanted to get more hectic. So that was rocks and pink cement yeah i mean that that was uh it was definitely cool because i didn't even know if there was anything recorded and my it's funny i was sitting there and i just popped it on and my wife was like what what is that and i was all like yeah. i was like well, you gotta watch my uh gotta watch my live video tonight to find out you know yeah. um but no that is uh probably the best name for a band i've ever heard and uh, uh because i grew up i grew up in a generation where like bands that were called things like uh I wrestled a bear once. Uh, it was a cool yeah. band name or uh, the first band I was ever in was called jelly donut, you know? So like it, it's all, it's all part of the same, uh, all part, part of the same weirdness family. Uh, but, you know, I think the interesting thing is, you know, back to kind of what clank had said, um, I, I look at, I look at your history and the bands that you've been in and like, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how you have watched this scene of you know basically like christian alternative music or heavy music or, or whatever you want to whatever little box you want to wrap it up in and tie a bow on um but you've been you've been in it through its infancy through its we awkward midlife crisis and even you know kind of kind of now and it's in its uh older age where it's like now it's accepted as like a normal thing as i say now it doesn't exist oh it exists <laughs> to, to some degree you know um, but like how, how different, I know Brian Patton already asked this question, but it's been like a year, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how different was this, how, how different was that scene back then versus how it would become, you know, later on? Well, there was such an evolution to it. It's not even funny. Uh, 
Um, which, by the way, am I supposed to respond to these comments? Oh, yeah, you can if you want. It's up to you. He, um, it'll just make me a horrible conversation. So I'm going to not do it and tell everybody. No, it's fine. Um, unless somebody asks a question directly, um, you know, gotcha. I, I throw these up on screen just because they're, you know, people are watching yeah. and we appreciate no, everybody. Yeah, we appreciate everyone that's watching. Us dumb old people don't know any better. The um, so I call it an evolution, right? Yeah. My first step into outside of Rocks and Pink Cement, I went straight from that band into an intense records band called Mortal in the nineties. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned that on the Batten podcast. I can't remember. Yeah, um, you were in Mortal for uh, you were you were in Mortal uh, on the Intense Live. Yes. Uh, album, which I'm going to ask you something about that here in a minute when you're done. But uh, we'll just, I'll make it short the evolution from that to whenever I ended with the Blamed or LS in the early 2000s was completely different. When I joined Mortal, you couldn't smoke and be in a band. Right. Like that was, there was no smoking, there was no drinking, there was no secular band t shirts, there was no, my sister came to a show, I couldn't leave the venue with my sister. Oh, wow. To, go to the hotel because the pastor would see it and wonder why is the bass player mortal leaving the girl to go to the blah, blah, blah. Even so I mean, your sister. Yeah. Yeah. There was just, there was the concept of living beyond reproach or not having the appearance of evil was like legit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. That's actually very similar to my experience in my first Christian band, even though it wasn't back then. But I think some of us guys out here in the Midwest um, were a few years behind on a lot of those things. Uh, but yeah, I remember even right down to like scrutiny of individual lyrics and mm -hmm. individual things about songs or like, you know, you didn't want to sound too much like a secular band or, or, or anything like that. How about you had to submit pastoral references to play, uh, concerts? <laughs> yeah, that's insane. But I, I, but we had to do it. <laughs> that's, uh, how I feel about that later in life is so different than how I probably would have felt like that felt about that in high school um but think about your children right how old's your oldest kid seven so imagine your seven-year-old is now 15 and wanting to go out to events and concerts and do you care that they're going to the all ages venue down the street or that they're going to the church group where you're hoping they're safe yeah no i i can definitely see it from that perspective i would argue that if their dad was anybody but me then yeah, it's the church all, you know, all, all around. Um, but like, it, it is crazy to think that, do you think that, do you think that it was that way just in, in kind of the sense that I've kind of explored this in other interviews too. Do you think it was that, that hardcore, um, no pun intended because Christian music was trying to establish itself as a legitimate thing, not just to, not just to the outside world or the general market, but also to the Christians as well. You, it's almost like, fighting a battle on two fronts. Well, you just, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. So I'm going to answer it wrong. So forgive me again, correct me. But like, um, honestly, I just feel like parents were scared. They wanted a safe place for their children to go. And they want to be able to trust where their children were going. The content they're listening to the, um, uh, back then, you know, we weren't really trying to make it. I mean, I remember going and hanging out when I was in mortal, having the random gig a year, with circle of dust, you know, we play together a couple times a year and they were really going after more of the mainstream. Like they were meeting the guys from prong and all these other bands and like mortal. We weren't right. 
like we were we were getting thrown mainstream gigs, but we were it was a Christian band. We were playing Christian venues, and we were playing Christian music on a Christian label. Yeah, and but it was fairly successful as well. That Fathom album, I I didn't play on Fathom, but I joined during the last days of that session. They were in the studio, and I'm playing my first shows. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I really like Mortal actually. Uh, got my got Mortal albums. The first more Mortal albums that I heard, I bought at Cornerstone on cassette. Um, not because I'm old, but because they were selling cassettes for dirt cheap because they were yeah. old. Uh, so I bought like all of the Intense Records stuff that was that was available. So it's like the first time I heard Vengeance and um, totally. some of the older Mortification stuff. But I grew up loving that stuff too. So when I got to be on the Mortal Intense Live Records thing. Like, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. Do you know how big of a deal it was for me to be like, dude, I'm on an intense records release. Dude. It's awesome. Vengeance Rising, Deliverance, Tourniquet, all this stuff, you know, I was going to say crap. But um, the, um, <laughs> but it was such a big deal to do that. And that was, that's not where I make fun of it was crap because it was the flip side. Then when I got into it, so we were talking before we went live about like I work in live music. Yeah. Ever meet your heroes. So playing in mortal and getting to meet all my favorite metal bands and getting treated the way metal bands treat other bands. I was like, I don't ever want to do this again. Right. Sure. Uh, I definitely, I wish I could say that I hadn't experienced that, but I have a few times uh, just in doing this. But, um, I think that's interesting too. Just that, that whole kind of, um, idea of, of image being, you know, um, I almost and, and I, this sounds terrible because there were great bands from that time period. So I'm not trying to discard them. Um, I mean, for me, it's hard for anybody to to mention a band better than Deliverance or you know something like that. But like, um, it was almost like they were almost more image over substance in the sense that like these bands were playing thrash in like the early to mid '90s, and like you know thrash had moved on. You know by that point, you had death metal bands yeah. and grindcore bands and hardcore bands and you know all of totally. that stuff but i will say this christian music in 90 i was in mortal in 93 in 93 christian music was still one step behind yeah that was always a thing in the 80s and 90s so in my youth like when you had scattered few come out um scattered few came out in uh like whatever that was pre-93 that was the first like where you're like whoa this is relevant yeah this sounds modern yeah yeah for christian music that was different you know and it is like what you said i saw deliverance right before right after their first record came out on intense and it was the best deliverance show i've ever seen oh i'm sure that's awesome so yeah no it, it totally um my my friend just texted me and hijacked my train of thought <laughs> it's all good i'm like stop texting me no we're it's, live it's, it's no big deal yeah Okay, never mind. Keep texting me. The, um, but anyways, like when I saw Deliverance, it was like so intense. That show, they had Roger Martinez out doing merch with them. Um, the show ends, they ask for an encore, and Roger comes out and does White Throne. With oh, that's so cool. Them. That was, I think you're aware, we sent you some of the, uh, we did that cover EP for the beginning of COVID a year ago. Yeah, you guys had uh, Jason Wisdom do the vocals. Yes. He did his best Roger Martinez impression. I loved it. Oh, it was great. But like, 
So when we picked all those songs, they were songs that I had an attachment to, and that was how we picked them. And the uh, that that was how I picked White Thrones because of that Deliverance show. Yeah, and I love that cover. That that and that that's something I'm going to get into uh, a little bit later into the chat too. Is is uh, all the videos and all the covers and, and all of that stuff uh, that I thought was all really the crap. Cool. All the crap. Yeah. Um, that's the word of the night. Crap. Just capital. It's a, C. Christ- it's a Christian cuss word. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to say hell or shit or damn or anything like that. You know, I mean, but you have to imagine there was to, when scattered, you played cornerstone one year, their guitar player said the F word on the stage. Right. Cause he was having technical difficulties and they had a huge problem. With it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny how, how much more doctrinally, and this is going to, you could del- totally tell I grew up in youth group culture. So much more doctrinally sound. They didn't just, you know, let things slide, you know, and that's good. You know, whatever. Like I, I, I was that kind of person all the way up until I was in my twenties. So like, I, sure. like I get it. Um, so it's funny whenever you say that stuff, like I kind of like relate to it in a way that like, this is exactly how my whole past was. Sure. But is there ever times where you miss the standard? I, and that's not a, yes. That's not a loaded question. I, I don't know the answer to it. Sometimes I do. It depends on what it is, you know? Um, and sure. I think that's, I think that's human nature in a, in a certain degree, not that we're here to talk about theology, but like, um, it, human nature dictates that like nobody, nobody wants a standard to follow as much as they want to just chop up the things that they like. So, you know, I'm going to say that, yeah, I think that super sexually explicit things shouldn't be aimed at children and there shouldn't be, you know, uh, but then I'll sit there and, and and debate you for twelve hours about why it's okay for me to drink like six beers while we're doing a, a interview, sure. you know. So like, there there's definitely a lot of a lot of um, I don't even want to say gray area because the people that are hardcore about it don't see a gray area, and then everybody else, you know. And I think I think that was one of the hardest parts about growing up in that culture was just there was no gray area. There was just you. And your family and your friends and everybody else. And at the drop of a hat, somebody that you knew or love could do something that put them in the everybody else category. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And it was that way in Christian music, to yeah. be honest. You know, but so that's where it's, I'm in the boat in between because, like, I mean, I'm a member of the Bad Christian Club. I love those guys challenging oh, yeah. some of the thought process. You know, I find it very inspiring. But there's times when I hear them on there just when I want to, I don't really want to ask this because I don't want them to text me about it. But there's, there's definitely they days don't listen and moments. To me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no, I just, I meant there's, there's days or moments where you, I want to say, like, are you just defending how much you can get away with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really fine line. I mean, it, that had a lot to do with my decision on whether or not to even make our podcasts like Christian or not. You know, because sure. I felt like we could make a Christian podcast and it could do really, really, really well. We just have to clean our language up a little bit and um, not be so obvious about our alcohol consumption and, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah. But whenever it really came down to it, I was like, I want to be able to talk about any band that I want, you know, totally. with, you know, uh, without restrictions. And I think that I think the only downside to that is that you end up with a lot of people that are just not living honestly. You know, um, and I think it leads totally. to a lot of uh, corruption behind the scenes, which is not I'm not going to be all like, so uh, who actually was walking the walk in? I'm not going to no, ask no. that question. Well, I just mean even well, let's even you take it a step further of like, how horrible is it having to hide things? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So that's what I don't 
I think we know that's one thing that comes from that culture, the nineties Christianity, whatever you want to call it is there is a lot of weird, maybe guilt or, yeah, you know, things we don't, I was raised in Christian music. You can't have a bad day. Right. Right. Like that was, that was a thing. Like I still to date don't know how to have a bad day, whatever, you know? Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Cause it's one of those things that you're always, you know, on witness. And I, yeah. I apologize to anybody that's watching this and like, isn't into Christian music or whatever. Uh, but like, this is something that, you know, I don't really get to talk about with anybody <laughs> very often. Well, if, it, if it helps for people that are just tuning in that don't know the story. I came from Christian music. I openly admit it. I just, I don't have a problem. I don't try to do the whole denying it, justifying it, not justifying it. I walked in and was stoked to do this for God. You know, I, I sure. love the concept of, you know, to, to minister is to serve. So I went in to just play guitar. And what does that do? So not to get preachy or speak a different language. I just tell them the backstory. That's where my upbringing came from. So if you're coming into it to, to, to really have that servant mentality, then yeah, you just have to suck it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to just deal with a lot of things, you know, yeah. and, and compartmentalize a lot of things. Um, and I'll tell you this, I don't miss it. That's the side of it. I don't miss Yeah. as much as I miss sometimes some of the standards I don't admit the only time it's the standards is when you get into, and we won't name names, but like a band that put out a record a few years ago where they dropped some F bombs on it and right. people got all up in arms about it. It was, I was like, me and Travis from the Satire X as the story grows. Oh, Trevor was, from Philly. Yeah. Trevor from Philly. Me and Trevor, we were laughing about it. We were like, it just seemed so intentional. It was hard to take serious. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But anyways, keep asking your questions. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, no, you're good. Uh, Yeah, that I I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, it was uh, very obvious that it was trying to, I don't know, draw a line in the sand or something. I don't know. Um, I can't, I can't speak for other people, but um, I do think that like there were a lot of positives to that as well, though, to having the standards, you know, there's definitely a flip side to all of it. Um, I get criticized a lot by people that are like, you just seem so down on Christian music all the time. You know, and it's not really that like I'm I'm the same way I grew up in it, you know, and I I listened to all of that stuff growing up. And a lot of it was because I was allowed to and not allowed to listen to other things, you know, granted, it's really hard explaining to your parents that mortifications, you know, scrolls of the Megaloth uh, album, you know, is Christian, you know, because all they hear is like gurgly screams and you know totally and heavy riffs and blast beats and all of that but yeah it's, and what's different between you and i is because my i wasn't raised christian so the idea that i even fell into this is like a you know totally different backstory yeah um we, we yeah it, this is this the positive side of it for me is that a guy like me that grew up in church is able to experience, you know, heavy metal and experience industrial or experience alternative music um, or rap music or or, or whatever it is, stuff that like, I feel like if we had been a couple of decades prior, you know, there, there wasn't a Christian music scene to speak of. No. Yeah. Or it was horrible. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was obviously a ripoff of something else, or or it was yeah. you know all the all the things that people still to this day accuse Christian music of being, 
you know um but i also think that there was a lot of sincerity there um i don't think there were a lot of bands i'm sure there were some um but i don't think that there were a lot of bands from that era that you know were intentionally out to deceive people or to do anything that would would piss somebody off the downside of the few that were milking the christian cow most of those folks i believe like i you know we talk about meeting your heroes i uh Mike Stand from the Altar Boys. We played a show once with Plank Eye in somewhere in Orange County, and Mike Stand was the MC for it. Mm-hmm. And he was legit. So it was it was pretty rad having him come in and just he was there for the people and it was great. And I remember being backstage, which is like the church cafeteria downstairs, and him teaching me how to play the final hour on guitar, and I was like Oh my gosh. So as much as I'm like, don't meet your heroes every now and then it works out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so as that scene kind of moved on, you know, we talked about, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw a narrative onto this conversation. If you can't tell, uh, I always kind of sure. come in, I always kind of come in with my own agenda about what we're going to talk about. No, good, Cause I'll keep derailing. It. Yeah. Oh, you're so good. Where did you first uh, start listening to music? Oh, well, you know, uh, it was a rainy day. Uh, and, uh, you know, my mother had just taken away my rattle and then I started listening to Slayer and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but no, the, uh, a- as it went on though, and then now we we're going to start, you know, I, I want to kind of shift from, and I, and I want to ask you questions about the blamed, but at the same time, I feel like that's also been kind of covered to death, you know, in the sense yeah. of, um, you know, I listened to Brian Patton's podcast and that answered, I actually listened to that and got kind of dismayed. I was like, well, crap, what are we going to talk about? Um, you know, every time we say the word crap, take a drink, but like, yeah. Is that the new drinking game? Yeah. <laughs> the, um, uh, you can always ask me about living sacrifice. Oh, I will. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I got that loaded up. I'm, I'm on a living sacrifice high. Uh, no, I was kidding. I was like, hopefully you're exhausted at that topic. <laughs> no, not really. I, there are some bands I could talk about forever. Uh, I think, you know, a specific three letter word band that I, uh, could yes. talk about forever ad nauseum, but, uh, you know, as, but, but, you know, speaking to bands like that, you know, um, I'm a huge Yes fan too, by the way. Fair enough. I like Yes. I like Yes more than I like Rush. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry if that's a hot take for some people, but <laughs> I, I do enjoy it. Um, and I'm going to say something later that's going to be like, oh God, I wish I hadn't done this podcast. Um, but the, uh, the, the evolution, you know, from being kind of a, a, a homegrown sort of movement, you know, uh, Christian bands back then, they booked their own shows. And they played in gymnasiums and they played in church basements and, you know, like all of these things. But then, you know, after, after that first wave, I don't want to say they died off. They didn't really die off, but like after that first wave sort of went away or changed, um, you started having Christian bands that were, you know, like you had tooth and nail records, you know, in had kind of taken over from the whole, from the old school, like, um, intense records, you know, sort of, sort of scene. I'm talking more specifically heavy music. I know there's more labels involved. You had REX sure. and, and stuff like that, you know, um, which REX is, <laughs> I, there are, <laughs> there aren't a lot of heavy releases from REX that I don't think are like 10 out of 10s, you know? <laughs> sure. But REX just had such a disadvantage. They even walked in and they couldn't keep up with intense records. Yeah. And their bands were more, you talk about authenticity or being legitimate, you go to REX. So fast forward to 
what a year are we 2021 yeah. like when i listen to intense records releases nowadays i'm like some of that stuff's kind of embarrassing but i'll tell you what i can put on those believer records and that first living sacrifice record yep. circle of dust records probably even sacrament and i'm going man this stuff was awesome sacrament was rad dude yeah, <laughs> totally right. They were REX though, right? They were REX. Yeah, I've got uh, yeah, I've got their tapes still. I got so many tapes, you had no idea. Um, you know, you had it moved on from that thrash scene, and I guess for a while there, everything went a little bit more hardcore. Um, and even the blamed, like to to an extent, you know, your first record was um, you know, more of just like a punk record. And I say it so dismissively. I apologize. Uh, but no, like, it's okay, you it's, can dismiss it. It was such a such a punk record oh yeah <laughs> you know um and i'm i'm unashamedly a, a hardcore guy um so you know frail um gotta talk about frail for a minute because frail was probably one of the first legitimate hardcore records that i ever heard i thought you were gonna do a costume change for this well yeah right just, just take it Live. off throw the frail yeah. shirt on <laughs> yeah um no i'm representing none teachers tonight that's that's where i'm at uh but the uh but the frail record was was interesting to me because it was one of the first like legit hardcore records I ever heard. And I say legit hardcore because I had heard bands like I had heard like newer bands before I heard frail. I bought frail for like $2, you know, probably at a Christian festival, you know, from a CD seller that was selling old tooth and nail albums, you know, like trying to get, you know, a couple bucks off of them. And, uh, and I remember popping in frail and I remember not being able to describe it to my friends, you know, I, and I remember being like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like punk is like pop punk was like really big then. And I was like, I don't know, man, it's like punk, but it's, it's like actually heavy. And like, like the dude just screams his head off the entire time. And it doesn't like always sound beautiful or sound pretty or anything, but like, but then at the same time, they also had like these more like slower singy type songs. And, um, and I don't know. I just really love the contrast when you guys did that live stream with uh flatfoot uh, a little while ago. Um, I, I loved that because you played so much off of Frail. <laughs> well, we intentionally did a Frail set. Yeah, it was uh, absolutely uh, mind-blowing for me to be watching that in a quote-unquote live setting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. So we're kind of, we, we consider ourselves retired, not really, but like we just play when we play. Sure. And we had, in 2020, we had, I want to say, two or three festivals booked and the 30-year we were opening for living sacrifice on the 30 years show. Yeah. Like the video premiere, whatever. Well, that was the 25th anniversary of frail. So that set that we played on the live stream was our set for last year. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. So that would have been, that would have been super cool. Well, we, we got the frail shirts. Um, yeah, I'm li- I'm living proof of that. Um, yeah, that I, I, ever since I, ever since I saw that album cover, I always wanted it on a shirt. That was one of the biggest things. Uh, Ever since that album cover, we wanted to make a shirt and we just could never get it. Yeah. And then finally, Jim Morton helped me out. But oh, by the way, here's the artwork. And I sent it to the manufacturer and they were like, eyes rolled. I guess we could do this. And they did it. it How could we print? This isn't printable. I I had to deal with that when my old band, where we would come up with, we would come up with logos and and artwork and stuff. And they'd be like, it just can't be done. Yeah. That's what we got with the frail thing. But they finally made it and it looks great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Shameless plug. Go to theblameband.com and buy your favorite frail shirt. Absolutely. Do it. It's it's amazing. 
Um, if you wear it as much as I wear mine, then it'll look like it actually came from the album release. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean, I, I love that shirt, but I'm probably gonna have to order another one because it's almost falling apart. You know, <laughs> um, just quit washing it. But like with with Christian music, uh, back to my narrative, um, like with Christian music moving on to like, um, you know, more of like a hardcore. Um, I know hardcore like really took off with like the spirit filled hardcore bands. Um, and, you know, you have like focus and unashamed and, and, and all of that, um, you know, and then you ended up with like tooth and nail solid state and cornerstone. And you, I know cornerstone has existed for quite a while before that, but, um, you know, what was it, what was it like then versus, versus the beginning? Like, was there anything that made that kind of era feel different in any way? Or like, you know, maybe more exciting, less exciting, medium, exciting, um, not exciting. <laughs> I don't know. Well, cause they were so close to each other. Yeah. You know, so that's where, like when you guys were doing the discography discussion on the, the blamed, I don't know if I'm answering your question, right? So fix me when I'm doing it wrong. But, um, I think Joe said it came out in 96. It really didn't. That came out in 95. Those records were like literally so back to back. Oh yeah. So, cause there was, so one thing that happened that was weird with 21, I'm going to put those, I'm going to lump those two together for a second. Okay. That's okay with you. I'm fine with it. 21 drops. We go on tour. It's featuring members of the blame or of mortal and the crucified. Yeah. And we had a lot of people that came to watch us. They loved the show. They bought merch. The tooth and nail thing was just starting to explode. And then the feedback though was, Oh, I expected it to be faster because Jim Chaffin's in the band. Oh, I expected it to be heavier because Brian from Mortals in the band. So starting to sound like me and Joe. Well, I'm just saying that was like <laughs> some of the feedback we got. So when we went in to do Frail, there was a little bit of this drive in us to be like, I mean, eventually for me, I am that punk rock guy that's like, man, I'll play it faster and harder, beat it, do whatever I want. So sure. So walking in musically between the two and now, so I'm really, you know, I do uh, some of the engineering for the recent stuff we do. Yeah. Like I, I don't consider myself this phenomenal engineer, but I am a hobbyist and I enjoy doing it. But I listen to a lot of music from an engineering perspective. And one funny thing is uh, if you listen to 21 production on, it's kind of garbage. I agree. It's a, yeah, it's a timestamp of '94, but if you were to go listen to the Offspring record from that year, the tones aren't very different. I can't disagree with you. We did an Offspring episode too, so I, I yeah, that's kind of fresh in my mind. Yeah, yeah. But if you were to literally ABM, you'd be like, "Huh, this is what '94 sounded like." Yeah. But the difference is, Offspring played their record with so much more vigor than the Blame did. We did that record in 21 hours. It was just thrown in the studio so and then even like i think you guys were talking about the concept of it sounds like our first record yeah um the thing is it um it was most of those songs were songs i played in, like out of high school and stuff like that so they were it was kind of a collection of some of my youth put into a record with a bunch of people that had no outside of my friend jake Landra, who played on that record with me, 
nobody, none of the rest of the band have the backstory. But uh, which, by the way, we are intentionally, or not intentionally, we are intending this year to, we're going to release this year the, uh, it's going to be called 2021, and we're redoing that record. Okay. Like from the ground up? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. We already started on it, to be honest. But it's, um, we're trying to give it a modern take and see if we don't screw it up. Modern as in like, uh, you know, there's going to be like a whole bunch of like electronics thrown in with like a bunch of whoa, whoa, thrown in behind it, you know? Lots of tambourine and hey. There it is. Oh, no, it's going to be, uh, no, it'll, it's still going to sound like that record. Just a little modern taking the tones and aggression and playing it. Jeff will be singing it and Sid. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's got some, uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It's got some cool stuff in the works for the demos. That's exciting. No, that's that's awesome. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, and you really have. I haven't told anybody. I mean, I send teasers in my messages to people yeah. knowing they won't get it, so it's pretty funny. Is- but did I answer your question in the transition of the scene? Um, no, but that's okay. Uh, I'm just going to ask it again in a different way. <laughs> because I, <laughs> I realized that I talked that about... Stupid. Well, no, I realized that I talked about Frail, and then I didn't give you a chance to talk about Frail. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 we're we're equal level. We're on equal levels of disrespect oh, and, tonight. And then in grouping those together, Dan, the uh, do you prefer Dan or Daniel? I always forget to ask. Oh, Dan's fine. So, in grouping those together, there is a '90s thing also going on in Frail. When you listen to the song "Torn," yeah. It's very influenced by Stone Temple Pilots. When you hear Breeze, it's like Smashing Pumpkins pre-Sunny Day Real Estate vibe. Yeah. You know, as far as the guitar and drum parts go. So, but that's what I mean by the, the 90s thing really had a timestamp on those records. Yeah. So that's all. Carry on. Sorry. Absolutely. I no, I could never really put my finger on it either because I didn't hear it in the 90s, you know, but. Yeah. Um, and in the nineties, I wasn't allowed to listen to stone temple pilots or so it, it's so funny too, like the perception of somebody that only listens to Christian music for a period of time. Sure. How like, you know, I was joking, uh, I was joking with the uh, living sacrifice guys about how, like I heard living sacrifice self-titled before I heard Slayer. So I heard Slayer and thought, Oh, this sounds like living sacrifice, you yeah. know, like, like that sort of thing. Um, and it was the same thing there. Um, and, uh, it, it's interesting hearing some of that and it's funny something else that you mentioned on brian's podcast because i gotta always give plugs out to as the story grows because they're one of my favorite podcasts and brian does really good work over there so like um but you had mentioned that like you know that you were pre-stave saker but like some of the stuff i get a little bit of a stave saker vibe off of also um which i thought was really interesting not not to say that you guys were like influenced or that they were influenced by you guys i know they were had pretty much already started up at that point but um, it was well, maybe me and Jeff Blue were listening to the same music. That's entirely possible. <laughs> Him and I were playing Immortal together in the when I my tenure with Mortal was mostly with Jeff. Okay, yeah, makes sense. He was like someone I looked up to because he's taller than me, but and because <laughs> he, uh, yeah, and he's a phenomenal guitar player. Him and I still make the joke of because he was there for the whole frail section or recording, and then. I make fun of it after I left every night. They were like, okay, look, he's gone. Jeff, can you play these songs good, please? And they 
had Jeffrey do all my guitar parts. Oh wow, that's uh that's some harsh reality there. <laughs> I don't know if I was ready for that. Well, uh, I don't know that he. When I make that joke to Jeff, he's like, "I could either confirm or deny it." So. <laughs> like, thanks. Um, uh, yeah. So okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back a little bit to um to to the the transition period because even even the blame records you know definitely took on kind of a hardcore uh presence so the point where like i mean there's <laughs> there there's some stuff um even on um even on like uh germany that i'm like oh my god this is like this is like perfect for me you know like perfect uh hardcore you know but like still like punk i think i think whenever i first heard hardcore people were all like saying bands like Norma Jean were hardcore and stuff like that. So sure. like, I had a totally different expectation. So when I would listen to the blame, I'd be like, Oh, it's punk rock. You know, yeah. I, I made such a distinction between, between, uh, but then, you know, once I, once I like, you know, once Wikipedia was a thing, I was able to kind of educate myself yeah. a little bit more on that and listen to and musical examples. And then I was like, Holy crap, sense. I've been listening to hardcore. Uh, I, I've been listening to hardcore for much longer than I thought that I had been listening to hardcore, you know? Um, but like that, if you, that, if you were to talk to like a Paul from 121, yeah, he was their original guitar player. We're from the same age group, yeah. Paul would and I would discuss, we would laugh out about how you'd be like, Yeah, I'm gonna listen to the Sex Pistols or the Ramones, Minor Threat, Slayer, and Youth of Today, and they all fit in the same genre, and maybe even some Beastie Boys fit in there, yeah. But that was just you know, we're talking 91 at that point. But at 91, that was, those were all acceptable. Like Slayer was kind of punk, kind of hardcore, even though they're a metal band. But in 91, that was a thing. And then obviously, you know, then the subgenres took over. Yeah, the subgenres all took over. And I think that's what I'm, what I'm kind of getting into as well is like that huge mix. Cause like I'll, I'll recount kind of my first experience at Cornerstone. I don't think I made it to Cornerstone until. 2003 maybe 2003 okay, so. 2004 so like i and i was in high school uh at the time yeah and one year you know one year my parents said i was too young to go by myself and then the next year they were like all right i get he won't shut up about it so if we <laughs> yeah. if he if he goes and he, and he'll be gone for a week and not be complaining about how we didn't let him go to cornerstone you know well, isn't it not that far from your house it's about three or four hours yeah but i mean there's people that drove from oh yeah yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't that far. But I mean, you know, to to your point earlier, you know, um, about being a parent and wanting wanting your kids to be safe, the concept of like, okay, you want to you want to do what now? You want to drive out? You want to drive three or four hours away from home to to camp in the middle of a cornfield? Yeah. You know, for a whole week. You know, and wait, it costs how much to get in? You know, like it was one of those like, you know, because I mean that was shoot, that was that was. What one hundred and thirty five dollars in two thousand three money? You yeah, know, probably. Yeah, it was expensive. I worked there, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I one was of the guy yelling at bands to get off the stage. Get off the stage, man! You played your you played your allotted thirty minutes. So, like when we got there, um, it was me and me and some friends of mine. It was actually so. It was my buddy Mike and my buddy Dominic went the first year, and Did they neither from Texas or were they with you? Huh? No, they were with me. They they were okay. um best but they were like just friends dominic played in my band uh jelly donut oh, uh he was our gotcha. bass player um he hated hardcore um <laughs> we didn't get along that well a lot of the time but like um 
he went with us and uh my buddy mike went with us and mike was into like norwegian like extreme metal so like it was such a weird combination yeah. <laughs> of people but then like i was just there to see you know i was like well Zayo's gonna be there you know at some point if i'm patient enough Zayo is going to show up and play you know and uh and all that so like i went and um and i want to say i think living sacrifice had broken up uh i don't know maybe a year before that i think that's why i was so bummed that i missed um that i missed their i think it was like one of their final shows the one with jason or the one with bruce the I'm, la- trying the timeline. Well, I, I'm trying bruce. to remember it too because i okay so i think their last it show was, was the bruce one we i just watched this documentary too i should know this i know he um, just hosted the q a what the heck i know Nobody right is. some dude doesn't even know when they broke up so okay so they <laughs> broke up in 03 so i must have actually been there in 04 not in 03 that makes more sense yeah, that would have um, been the Bruce last show. Or yeah, because I remember they originally were going to have Corey be the singer of Norma, or not Norma Jean. He, he did become the singer of Norma Jean. Uh, but like they were going to have him be the singer of Living Sacrifice, which uh, there is some alternate reality where that happened and it was probably actually pretty cool, you know? Uh, but like it's, it's, I remember going to Cornerstone and the experience just being completely overwhelming because. You know, I had listened to a few bands, like more modern bands, but this is still like dial-up internet days, you know, um, that, you know, there's no YouTube, there's no MySpace, there's no, you know, like any of that stuff. And um, so like, I may have only heard, like I'd heard Living Sacrifice and Zayo and uh, like a few bands, but I didn't really know what the full extent of it was. And so I went to Cornerstone, I was like completely blown away by the amount of band. Cause like, I would, I would like walk past, I would just be walking past um, this generator and there'd be a band on stage playing and like, I'd be like, this sounds like Zayo, you know, or like, this sounds like yeah. Norma Jean or this sounds like, you know, whatever. And it might've been one of them. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah. And so what was funny is that like, I remember, I remember seeing that and being totally overwhelmed. And I think, uh, I think blaster, the rocket man, I saw them play too. Um, it was either that year or the next year. And it's funny. Cause he, he's up there and he's like, uh, yeah, it's really weird, man. Back in the day when we used to play at Cornerstone, you'd walk past a tent and you'd just hear a bam, but a bam, but a bam, but a bam, but a bam. He's like, but now every time we walk past the stage, all you hear is, yeah, <laughs> you know, coming from everywhere. And, um, but that's like legitimately what it was like. And, um, yeah. so I guess if I, if I could circle back to my original question, you know, um, what was the experience like transitioning from like, Hey, we're playing in churches. We're playing in, you know, all these like places, that are not conventional like music venues and stuff to where like you, you fast forward to like 2004 and I know that's a huge jump in time, but um, like, what is that like seeing it to be seeing where it's like an actual industry at that point? And that it's, it's really, cause I, th- I want to say those years were like when it was really at like the beginnings of being at the height of its popularity. Well, so I'm, I'm an unfair one because the blame ended when you still played Christian venues. Okay. So I hardly experienced that. But my last tour with the Blamed, the last season of touring, we were definitely at the point where we were like, we don't want to play. I remember playing with Cody Hook in Portland and we're in the church foyer or something. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. But anyways, or maybe the main auditorium. And at one point I'm singing, I'm playing, and people are allowed to crowd surf in this church. But to do it, they're they're jumping off of the altar. Oh. And I remember just being like, I don't like this. Yeah. And I, and it's not even to put more power in the altar or something. I just, it just still felt like I wanted to go tell 
Pastor Joe, Jim, Bob, like, hey, man, let's do these. Let's put the altars in the other room for the night. Sure. Or something. And just let's really not. I get it. We get a free venue. It's all ages. And the truth is, I remember the pastor that night being someone that legitimately cared about people. I mean, when you're in the that era of music, it was always funny, too. You had, like, you went the one night and you played at a church, and it was a guy that was, he cared about the culture, he cared about his city, he cared about his people, and he was, like, people really wanted to see a change in their town. They were doing food drives, maybe, hey, tickets are 10 bucks, but bring a can of food, you get it for nine. Right. They were just trying to impact their culture. And then the next night you go play, and the promoter was like, Jim Bob youth pastor getting shoulder rubs from youth group chicks. When you had to go get paid, you were like, this is Ugh, creepy. This is gross. Yeah. 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 So I was always like, so, you know, when you saw some of that and you saw those venues die, you were like, good. And then when you saw the legit guy, you just wanted to maybe help teach him. Like, I want to play your venue, but I don't want people crowd surfing off of the altar. I don't like it. It yeah. makes me uncomfortable. And that that was it, you know. So that was where I started to see the change for myself. And then I was so I was happy to do then as that year finished, I remember it being that just our booking person was Jeff Cloud from Velvet Blue. Yeah. And Jeff even saying, like, yeah, we're we're trying to tell places like we'll play your church, but you gotta put us in the youth group room and clear it out and just make it a yeah, a room that can hold this many people. Sure. With us, even if the PA is just speakers on a stick and we only put vocals in it, the blame is set up to do that kind of show, right. which we were, and we went in and we're just fine. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, um, especially whenever you like you, it's not necessarily like you said, like it's like that there's power in the altar or anything, but it is one of those like, you know, two nights ago, somebody was here, you know, bearing their soul out to somebody at yeah. that altar and this is just a bunch of sweaty dudes jumping off of it. You know, like I, you know, like yeah. I, I can kind of see that, especially since I'm like kind of transitioning into being an old person, you know, like I, I yeah. you know, I can totally, I can totally. Get off my altar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, well, it's funny too, because like my, my distrust of people younger than me is starting to increase as it goes on. Like if I look out my window and I see like, I see like three kids walking down the street, like, you know, whatever, like stuff I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm immediately like, what are they up to? You know, I what are they doing? Year old, so I'm used to it. Yeah, yeah. So like, I, you know, I'm like, oh, what are these kids doing? You know, my wife laughs at me. She's like, you're such an old man. Like, yeah, know, we were wondering what these little whippersnappers are up to. But like, um, but I do think that it's it's interesting just how popular this style of music got, and I and I attribute a lot of that to like, you know, to fast forward even a little bit even more to your like as dyings and um, under oath and, you know, uh, even Norma Jean was very popular. Um, did, do you feel like the, the heart of that, the heart of that scene had kind of changed in any way? Not, not like necessarily specifically about those bands, but I'm just trying to get a sense of like, you know, it was one way at the beginning and then it became something else. And then it became something completely different towards the end. Well, you always appreciated the as dyings. Uh, pre-steroids that they were <laughs> um they just they went and, and went mainstream and probably the only christian show they played was cornerstone and it was because they liked being at cornerstone sure it wasn't even for the money meal ticket 
they wanted to be a cornerstone. Yeah. That was the same with probably POD to an extent. They got their start there. They were loyal to the venue, which being the festival. And then so behind the scenes, after my music world stopped and whatever that was, 2003-ish. Yeah. Um, my next gig was I tour managed the cherry for a season. And um, but you know, Josh Goggin is very big on his integrity and then been doing it that way. So to be honest, my next band I went out with, I really liked and went out for that reason because I wanted to be somewhere I felt safe. Sure. Like, you know, you've got kids. So at that point, my kid was like two or three. Yeah. And then am I going out of town, going on tour with a band that's going to strip clubs and bars? Cause now that's acceptable within the music culture. And and this is what I'm spending my time away from my family doing. I don't want to do that. So when I went and worked for the chariot, Josh had heavy standards for the band. And even it was interesting being the tour manager and again, getting back into the, the Christian language, but being sensitive to that, like I'm going on tour, I'm playing shows. I've got other bands that are underneath us that I have to get their drink tickets every night. I've got two crew members that aren't in the chariot that are maybe not even believers. And so we don't take drink tickets for the band. How do I get my crew members their drink tickets if they want it? Right. And have it not be from the chariot. Right. So, you know, every night I get my drink tickets. Okay. And I would give a speech, you know, hey, I'm Brian, I'm tour manager, blah, 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 blah. This is our laminate. The chariot doesn't drink anything but soda. I want them to be able to get soda at every bar with this laminate. Our laminate was a different color than everybody else's. So the promoter was like, no problem. Or if the promoter didn't like it, he's like, no, but I'll go buy three cases of soda and put it in the drink. I was like, great. <laughs> right. And then, so I get the drink tickets, give them to the other bands, and I would go part of the main support. Hey, I'm giving you the Chariots drink tickets. And they'd be like, hell yeah. I was like, and I need you to make sure you buy a drink for my guitar tech and my merch guy. Right. And they were like, done. So I was able to navigate that water. Um, but the tides changing, and again, I don't know if that's answering it, but that was no, definitely no. That's 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 in that that's important, I think, because there's, you know, like you said, like the venues were pretty non-conventional, but then you're kind of in this world now, you know, with the chariot where, you know, they're playing, they're playing clubs, they're playing the exactly the kind of venues that you would have wanted to play back in the day, you know, yeah. Um, like legitimate music venues and bars and clubs and, and things like that. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, where does that, where does that standard come into play? You know, um, is it still what it was before, you know, has it changed it, You know, if it did change, why did it change? <laughs> you know, sure. Um, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting kind of getting to talk to somebody that kind of lived through a, a lot of that. And earlier on well, the kind Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The bands wanted it to change. I will say that. I wasn't one of those. I was content in my Christian music world. I just, because we were, but our old goal was, I mean, to be honest, we wanted to change the world. And then then it was easier to do in the church culture, but within the church venues. And it wasn't that we were reaching out to Christians, but the truth of the matter is, we were really going after the Christians with the sense of like, I mean, dude, how many times have you heard, man, Christians are jerks? You know what I mean? All and the so time. That was our big thing was like, we really as a band went after, I walk in a venue 
and the sound guy thinks we're a bunch of jerks walking out of there and we're a bunch of hypocrites. So right. it starts at that level that I have to say please and thank you when I ask for more kick drum in my monitor. Sure. If I can't treat the sound guy with the same respect I'm treating and being treated with, then this is a joke. So I personally, I'm telling you to railroad your bashman. We weren't that way, but then I can, so I can name drop them. When you dealt with the guys in like Stavesacre, I talked to Mark, they wanted the mainstream and they were having a hard time because they would go play. I think my favorite example, and he told me the story was um, Jacksonville, Florida. They had a huge venue there. Christian venue would draw in hundreds. You'd make a ton of money. They didn't want to do those kind of shows. So they got booked at the local cool indie rock bar in Jacksonville and played in front of maybe 20 people. Yep. That's reality. Yeah. Whereas they'd played the Christian show. They would have got at least a hundred on the low end. Yeah. But then you fast forward. That's to answer your question is everybody wanted that so bad that they killed their music scene. So then you have bands like Staves Acre that are still in that demographic. So now they're coming to Chicago and they're playing the local all ages venues that aren't Christian and they still don't have those numbers. But then you, then you're into the more modern, but that's probably to do with some of their age demographic. But then you have that same year, maybe Norma Jean's playing or Ludacris, whatever that earliest phases are. Yeah. And they're selling out that same thing. So that's that's where you saw the Azalea Dawings take off the other roads. You know, it's like when Bruce talked in the documentary, the year he quit, music was on the rise. I mean, music was at its highest point. It blew up, yeah. Like, Living Sacrifice was on a trajectory for massive success. I just always, by being in the right place at the right time. Sorry. No, you're good. I, I always joke that, like, if they had stuck it out for one more year. Totally. You know, because I remember, like, because I was that kid, even in high school, where, like, my friends would be like, yeah, well, that Christian music you listen to is okay, I guess. But, like, you know, we li- we like bands like Slipknot and, and Soulfly and Pantera. And, and I used to be like, dude, Living Sacrifice, like, stands toe-to-toe with all of those bands. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, they are just as legit. They're as, they're as on top of it. You know, they're, they're technically amazing, you know. Aggressive, heavy. They're just they're a Christian band, but yeah. it's weird how there was even when I was in high school there was that stigma of oh it's a Christian band so we're not gonna check it out. And then you fast forward, you look at the entire rise and fall of like metalcore music that took place in the two thousands, where you're in you're actually in a genre of music where like what seventy percent of the bands are Christian bands, yeah. On what no, planet does that happen? Yeah, but it was they just got good. <laughs> yeah, they just got good. Yeah. That well, that was a big factor. I mean, you put in. Remember the first time? What was your response the first time you heard those first two notes on Blood and Fire? Yeah, I mean, just this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. That was the same thing. I was like speechless, jaw dropped. Like, yeah, I can't believe that it sounds like this. You know that that this could exist. Like, as I think, I think what's interesting about a record like Blood and Fire is that it reprogrammed your brain in a way. Uh, whereas, because I mean, before I heard Blood and Fire, sure, I'd heard like heavy bands, I'd heard death metal bands, I'd heard thrash bands, I'd heard you know 
all these different bands, you know, hardcore bands, but there's something about dance voice and how raw those riffs were and how heavy they were that it was like, okay, this is actually, cause like you listen to a band like Pantera, right? And you're like, okay, this is as heavy as music gets. Yeah. It can't ever be any more extreme than this. And then you hear something like Zayo and you're like, this is next level. Like, totally. But it just kept on that whole thing. If you think of 98, same year reborn, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just fired you up. And then you go into the next level of like, I'm fast forwarding too far ahead, but you think of uh, Bless the Martyr and I hear, put the CD in and I hear, you know, running up, you know, and it's, um, yeah. And it was just like, I had that exact same emotional experience. Yeah. Where I was like, oh my gosh, this is like nothing I've ever heard or done. My parents hated Bless the Martyr Kiss the Child. And we bought it at a Christian bookstore. They drove me up there and paid for it. And then my dad was like, yeah, let's pop it in the CD player on the way yeah. home. And I've just never like seriously, my parents hear this record and they're like the blood just drains out of their faces. Like, yeah. like, dude, it was it was like that scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where like their faces are just melting off. Like you're yeah. like, you know, what do you what in the world? Not Monty Python, Indiana Jones. Sorry. Uh, wow. Raiders of Lost Ark. Sorry, I, I sent my wife a meme earlier, a Monty Python meme. I think that's why it's still floating around in my brain. But um, so, and I actually have a point to all this as far as the transition of music or whatever. Um, you know, the satire is a band that um, has been around, I think, a lot longer than most people know. Um, whenever you went in to do, whenever you started the satire, was your motivation kind of more geared towards that? Like what the newer stuff is or was it just, um, was it just like, yeah, I don't know, man, I want to do, you know, something more, something a little bit more, um, I don't know, I guess experimental crazy. No, actually, if you heard the early satire, demos, you would probably throw up in your mouth. Oh, the, okay. um, Send those to me. I don't have anything else to do <laughs> later tonight. Yeah. The, um, I will see if I can find them. So living sacrifice ended. And the satire was originally going to be me and Lance. Okay. And we were doing it under the moniker, the blamed is dead temporarily. It was never supposed to be that as a name. We got booked at Cornerstone. The perks are working there as I get to play. And then, um, it was with the chariot, right? Wasn't it like the chariot versus the blamed is dead? Yeah. We won't even go into that. But yes. The, I remember um, that. It was horrible. But the, uh, I played drums for it. Let's put it that way. Okay. And um, I go to sit down and play my drums, and all these people are being really nice to me, wanting to help me out. And it's the drummer of Azalea Dying. It's David from Extol. It's Joe from Beloved. It's all these drum years of mine, and they're like, dude, what's up? How can we help you out? And I was like, honestly, go watch that show over at the stage. 400 feet away so I can oh, wow. relax and play drums. Like, <laughs> Cause I'm not a drummer. I play guitar on the drums. Okay. But so, but anyways, uh, so that's almost the wrong question. Cause the transition where the satire is now, I mean, when Lance wrote it, he wanted it to be like mall metal. It was designed to be like our original demos were like melodic. Interesting. I would not have, I would not have expected that. Yeah. Well, 
based on the ep that i have yeah and then obviously the new the new release that you guys have like i mean yeah that's it's interesting uh to think about to think about that how how you could make that melodic i mean it's not like you took that and made it melodic it became that it became kind of the crazier stuff later once once lance dropped out of the band officially we called it the satire one of the other band members i was playing with named it and i just slowly started to weed out the uh, melodic stuff as much as i could and it's still kind of a fairly melodic band but it's not really I mean, it has melody. I think that's I, that's why I wanted to bring it up right after bringing up uh, "Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child" because uh, because it took me back there, you know, um, you know, especially you know, uh, whenever you guys released, you know, whenever you guys released that seven inch, it was like took me right back there. Oh, thanks. Like took thanks. me back to that place, you know, where I was like, I was like, you've got you've got heavy, chaotic, spastic, you know, sort of guitar. Um, and then you've got these like throat shredding, you know, deep vocals. Cause like even he makes the band, I mean, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. You know, I, I feel like we have to, you know, we have to say that since Jesse himself is feeling a little insecure tonight. So he, he felt the need yeah. <laughs> to ask who the satire's best singer is. And Jesse, I hate to say it, man, but, uh, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, it's me, you know, uh, Brian's yeah, been, you and, been working. You and Sid. Yeah. He's been working. He's been, uh, He's been working with me, and uh, you know the next release it's going to be me. Uh, but yeah, no, like yeah, dude, Jesse is is outrageously good um, on vocals on that, like because he he has a delivery that I haven't heard since the those early days, like two thousand four, two thousand five. Because like yeah, you look at a band like Norma Jean, and this is not any type of like slight against Josh or slight against Corey. Um, Josh delivered in a super brutal manner on Bless the Martyr. Uh, that he continued on in the chariot, you know, famously. Uh, but like with uh, sixty-eight, it's not even yeah, right. Uh, but like then you have you had Corey take over, and Corey did a record with Norma Jean that was um, also equally like brutal and nice. I don't have that one yet. Actually, I need to need it to pick that just up. Just came in the mail with my T-shirt. I haven't jumped on the sixty-eight train just yet um, because I'm a, I'm a meathead. You know, and I, I want everything yeah. to be brutal, you know, or whatever. But like the, uh, but that delivery, like, so Corey did a record with Norma Jean that was also like the equally brutal, you know, vocal delivery. Um, and then as Corey went on with Norma Jean, it became like a little bit more melodic, a little bit more understandable. And I have no problem with that. I think some of the later Norma Jean stuff is some of the best stuff that they had ever done, you know. But, I'm um, a huge fan. oh, me too, dude. Like, I've got, I've got the polar similar box set behind me. Like and nice. no, actually, it's to my left. I could I could pull it out on stream, but I'm not going to. Um, I'll send you pictures of it later. It's inc- ridiculous, but uh, the uh, but yeah, I, I just it's interesting seeing how how that style was like so brutal and so extreme. Um, something that something that even Travis brought up on one of his old episodes of just of uh, as the story grows is that he was like, yeah, man, these Christian bands deliver like the vocals in such a brutal extreme way that like even i think some of the secular bands don't really even come close to um but like he's like he's like you know why why is that why why does that happen and um i think it all had to do with the fact that like for a while there it was just underground but underground not like it was underground but it was popular enough for people that like didn't just listen to the radio yeah no they were better when they weren't on mtv yeah i mean that's that's easy 
Yeah, that's an easy one. You're like, hey, he's you're like, I've been talking to this dude for an hour and 10 minutes. He hasn't even asked me any questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. I told you I was going to ruin your podcast. No, you're the, fine. Um, but like, um, like so on the set there, I'll make it easy. Sure. Is I got to the point where I got to this point a long time ago. And I won't even, I don't even have to name names because it's kind of most of them. Is I got tired of like these, I got tired of hearing records where everybody's writing these butt rock choruses or mall rock or demo choruses. It just felt so cookie cutter. It's like, here's the one part, here's the next part, and then here's the melodic. Singy chorus, great. I don't mind good melodic. Yeah. I don't like it when it's because it becomes sterile. It becomes not authentic, whatever you want to call it. I just I don't like it. So with the satire, I mean, we have songs where we do formula, but we really try hard to just, to be honest, I follow some of my guidelines for the later blamed records of just, cause I want to embrace the chaos. I don't want to embrace the record sales. Screw that. I think it's awesome, man. You're, you're making, you're making dudes in their mid thirties, super happy. Yeah. You know, like, and hey, that was what I was, you were exactly what we were shooting. That's exactly. You're like, right. Yeah. I can see you writing down on a dry erase board. Okay. Like, here we yeah. go. All right. We need to, we need Plus to make music off. that appeals to dudes that heard bless the Marcus, the child back as soon as it came out, you know, but it's, I think it went on. What is it? Is it lamb goat where everybody's a bunch of jerks and hates everything? Oh, lamb goat. Yep. It was one of those, uh, released our, or did a press thing. I think for our EP, we did on, uh, blood and ink records and it was yep. full of people on there just hacking on like, yeah, this would be cool in 2003. Right. Stuff like yep. that. And I remember we were all laughing like, these are actually great compliments because that's what we're going for. Right. That like, was our goal from day one. Yeah. If we wanted to do a bring me to the horizon record, we would do it. Right. Sure. Uh, but anyway, back, back to the, uh, back to the point about 30, 30 year olds, um, you know, be, being really, really into the satire. Um, what does the satire have going on? I'm going to, I'm going to make the rest of this uh, a little bit more personal. Uh, than than like hey tell me a story about the history of Christian music. Yeah. Yeah, you get us old farts. We'll talk about Christian music forever. Right. Um no we're just so my year plan is we're doing uh we're finishing the satire record. We're supposed to do it in twenty twenty and really just the the pandemic really slowed that down. Me and Jesse were really cranking through it and getting vocals done and it was awesome. And then coronavirus just, I don't know how to go into it beyond that. It just was bad. Kind of poo-pooed all that, huh? Well, just, I couldn't get into my studio at times. I mean, just, it was, it was literally, it shut us down. Yeah. There was a lot of points in Chicago. You couldn't leave your house. I mean, you could, but you really couldn't. It was like, I could leave my house, get in my car and be in my car. Yeah. I mean, even I got pulled over on the way to work a few times until my do- until my boss had to write a note saying like he's allowed to come to work. Yeah, you still doing the ventilators? Yeah, yeah, I work for a different company now, but yeah, I, I fix ventilators for uh, actually for the government, believe it or not. It's all oh, I'm allowed cool. to say. I signed something saying I was only allowed to say that, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're your uh, NDA. <laughs> yep, something like that. It's the first time I ever signed one of those. A media man, you can't have me sign an NDA. Exactly. I had to sign one once. They're dumb. But the, um, but yeah, so the satire just got pushed back a little further and that was just, 
you know, there was, I, it was funny. I posted a, it's not funny, I guess, but I posted something on my personal Facebook, just about the loss experienced in the last year. Yeah. I wasn't meaning it to be this boo-hoo thing that it turned into, but I was like, I was just trying to tell a story like, man, a year ago, who thought that in one year later, we're looking at X, Y, and Z. I don't even want to get into that stuff because we're having a phone podcast, but like, who knew, you know, but so within that, when I talked to Jesse, like I had to shut my studio down a week ago and it's not shut down, shut down. It's just relocated. But that was where Jesse and I recorded and it was, it's where we hung out every week. And, you know, we lost that with part of the loss of the pandemic. So, you know, it's just, but it put the brakes on the satire is my point. And, but not even really the brakes. We're still working on it. Like I just sent some demos around a couple of days ago. Okay. So there's still forward forward progress. It's just as slow as it is for anybody. We have a full record tracked. Um, you know, we're making fun of people that are technologically challenged. Yeah. Well, my friend Jesse Holly is about the top of that list. Okay. But, um, he is when we did the uh, the quarantine EP. I really um, Jesse's a part of the family. You know what I mean? I'm like I'm. I love having him as much in it as I can. Yeah. I think he thinks I do it because I feel sorry for him. And I do it because I actually like working with him as my friend. Yeah. I feel sorry for him about everything else, but not the music. Sure. But the um but so he's technologically challenged enough. I was like, I want your backups on White Throne. I want your backups on Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. Get them for me. How do we do this long distance? He had no idea how to do it. Basically, he had to open his laptop, play the song in his headphones, take his phone, record a video and scream into it. So like how we get these videos of a wall and Jesse screaming, <laughs> empty them into pro tools, chop them, line them. And I was like, only for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were cool. I was, I was going to get into that, that. That was kind of one of the highlights for me was not only seeing you guys playing, but also like, having guest vocalists, having, having other cool people that I like, you know, um, you know, kind of on there, you had Travis do a song, you had Jason wisdom do a song and it, it was just, it was just really cool kind of to see those sides of the personalities. And I, it's weird. Cause I would have never thought Travis singing a stretch Armstrong song would be cool. Uh, but then I saw yeah, it yeah, and yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember texting him and being like, dude, that was a really cool cover. And he's like, Oh, cause he's not on Facebook. Cause he's like too cool for that. But like, yeah. Um, you know, like he's like, oh, I didn't even know that that posted or whatever. I was like, dude, it was awesome. It was a highlight of my day, man. I like, I went in, I went in and worked on oxygen concentrators like all day long, and then like that's the only fun thing I did today was watch that video. You know. Well, so the funny thing was because I wanted Travis to be included. I'm like, hey, why don't you do backups on this stretch song? Because Brad from the Satire sang backups. Um, he's the bassist. Yeah. We had um, we wanted to have Jesse do his from the bathroom, and then. Let's have Travis do his. I'm like, I need you to film yourself. So he sends me the track, like Dropbox file. And it's like, because my throat's messed up, I can't do a good Travis presentation. But imagine his Philly accent. And he's like, dude, take it or leave it. But I went ahead and just sang the whole song. And it's in the Dropbox. And I was like, what? And so I opened <laughs> it up and I'm like, man, how am I going to do the like, oh, bless your heart. It, Stick to drums, buddy. And then um, we opened up the file, and it was amazing sounding. Yeah, it was and great. 
And actually, it's even more funny on a nerd level. It was totally messed up. He totally sent his mic out of phase. And it took like, I had to Google how to treat that and fix it. Yeah. But it was, but the dynamic was so perfect. I think at one point I'm like, dude, that's great. Resing it at not out of phase. And when he resang it, it wasn't the same. We had to keep his out of phase vocals and just fix it. Right. Even more funny on a nerd level, it was totally messed up. He totally sent his mic out of phase. And it took like, I had to Google how to treat that and fix it. Yeah. But it was, but the dynamic was so perfect. The Travis story. It ended up sounding really, really, really cool. And, And I remember just being like totally blown away. And then whatever, like it was like only a couple days later when the White Throne uh cover you know dropped and um and it was it was just enjoyable because it was one of those things where i feel like at the time not to get into like covid stuff because like i've beaten that horse to death but like um i i found it very enjoyable in the sense that it was a really hopeless time for a lot of people uh me especially like we were were still doing the podcast and stuff but like even then i was like somewhat inspired because i remember so the last episode that we did in 2020 was the blamed episode in the sense that we did that episode. Like that was me and Joe in the studio. Uh, we piped in Brian Patton, you know, for that one. And, um, and we, that was the last time that I was like sitting next to Joe in the studio doing a podcast. And that's the way we had always done it for the, for three years was just yeah. me and him, you know, sitting there doing the podcast I was always in the same room as him. He set my microphone up. He did all the things or whatever. And then I, I remember your roadie. <laughs> yeah. And I remember there being this kind of feeling of like, oh man, like, what are we going to do now? Cause like, I can't go down there or whatever. And he's like, all right, so we'll get you a microphone, you know? And I was like, oh, well I have a microphone. Like I have a USB microphone. And so like, I used that for a while. And then he ended up getting, hooking me up with this like scarlet USB, you know, interface and all those dude this thing's awesome it's killer but like it it was just one of those things where like there are lots and lots of like long conversations on the phone about like this is what you do you know you have to you have to line you have to plug this into this and i considered myself relatively tech savvy before that but like he's like you have to make sure that the computer coming out of you know the audio has to come out of your computer and go into the Scarlet and then come out of the Scarlet and go into your computer again, you know, via USB and like all of this stuff. And I'm like basically having to learn his job or whatever, but I like I, those videos, those covers and stuff. And I saw not, not just you guys, but like, you know, everybody kind of stepping up to the plate technologically and being like, we can still deliver this cool experience for you. We just have to do it from our houses. <laughs> you know, we have yeah. to do it, you know, uh, separated from everybody else. And I can only imagine what kind of toll that took on you considering what your job was at the time. Um, and how that, that, that well just completely dries up overnight, you know, um, we're the first ones let go and we're the last ones called back. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. That's just the statement industry wise. That's not me. Right. But, um, it's funny to say that cause I've, I've covered in a couple of our own topics. We post online. I just wanted, like all seriousness, I wanted just to give a distraction yeah. to people. Because, you know, I would open up my Facebook. I'm one of those old demographic. My Facebook, I love seeing my sister's kids. You know, my dad and his girlfriend have a sheep that just gave birth to babies, you know, and I got to see those pictures. And 
Yeah. Or my sister's husband's a great chef. My cousins post pictures of their kids all the time and families. And I just love seeing this family camaraderie thing on my Facebook feed. But then just out of nowhere, it was full of just this toxic behavior. And I was like, dude, the country's gone to heck and back, whatever. I'm not polarized, but divided into these camps. So I don't care about the politics, but I'm caring that there's people that are struggling with mental health right now. And then we're coming in and, and just being dominated word for toxic online. Yeah. So, and the news is being horrible. Just nothing's telling the truth. I'm like, what the heck? So I just had this vision idea to these covers. Which ones do we do? And I had, a, I was like, you know, I'm gonna do all these ones from my youth. And the truth of the matter is, my standard for covers kind of usually, I'm working on one that isn't this short, but is you have to be less than three minutes. Sure. Keep them short, keep them to the point. That way people can hold their attention and get out. But we put them online. I'm not bragging. They got viewed a bunch. And the goal wasn't even like, how many views did we get? It was like, how many minutes did we steal from this venomous poison with these stupid videos? I'll take it in a heartbeat. Yeah. From people that were just sitting at home. Yeah. That might've been thinking negative thoughts might've been thinking, you know, and I remember, I remember being particularly, I mean, I worked through the whole thing, you know, um, I didn't stay home. I feel, I feel worse for my wife, you know, who was home with four kids, you know, where our youngest, um, is like a year old now. And like, he basically, the first year of his life was this, Yeah, you know, he didn't see any walls outside of his four walls, you know? Um, and now he's adventurous. It's funny. It's like seeing him, like he always wants to be outside. Yeah. And always wants to be doing things and being, you know, very active and, and, you know, all that, um, which is just, it's exhausting just to watch him do things, you know, but like, sure. Um, but like, yeah, and it, it definitely was, was a huge, you know, um, I'm not ashamed to say it, like a huge blessing, you know, it was very, um, it was a very positive experience for me. And it was fun too, because like through the podcast, I've had the benefit of making kind of friends with people, you know? So, you know, I got to send Travis a message and be like, dude, that was so cool. You know what you did yeah. there. And, um, you know, and I, and, you know, I had messaged you and Jesse, you know, about those things. And, um, I may even message Jason. And I was like, that was the best Roger Martinez impression I've heard, you know, in a long time. Like he, totally. he should, he should call those dudes that used to be in vengeance and be like, yeah, yeah let's sign me up. Yeah, let's do it. Let's put out another record. But, but I was even like the 121 guys are my heroes, you know. So yeah. getting to do a song with them or just yeah, like I still go back and look at these videos and go, man, this was great, you know. And then recently, me and Christopher Foley from Luxury have kind of we did the one Blunderhead collaboration, and at the end of the year, I don't know if you saw that one or not. And then uh, we're, we've got another one we're working on too. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's cool too. So, like, I guess like to get it a little bit into your, um, I'll be wrapping up here in a little bit because I know it's been kind of a long, a long chat. But like the uh, two parter, as far as far as your, I don't do two parters. Um, no, I'm saying I'm horrible, right? Well, the uh, but like to kind of get into your process because you're one of the only people I know that like doesn't seem satisfied with how things are. Or sitting there and kind of just like letting things ride out and see, it, it always seems like you're working on something. You're you're collaborating with someone on something. You know, there, there's always there's always something new coming 
down the pipeline. Um, does this just like some sort of way that you keep from becoming bored or? Um, no, cause I'm not very bored. <laughs> I can imagine really, that you can't, that you can't ever really be bored. Well, the blame is really Jim, Jeff and Sid. Then I just am the one that walks in and goes, okay, well, if we're going to do it, this is how, but you know, if they tomorrow said they were tired of doing it, then we'd be done overnight. You know, that's really their baby more than mine. Um, the satire is me and Jesse. That's the project I've been working on since 2004. You know, I mean, the songs you're hearing, some of those songs are from probably 2005. Yeah. That we just never finished. And they're being probably a little more modernized or something. We'll slightly reworked. But um, I like Jesse and some of that company are always like, let's just write new songs. And I'm like, man, I stop until I put out this record. I've been working on for 15 years and then we can talk about it. Right. I just feel like, I, I just feel like this is kind of dark, but like, I feel like at your funeral, we're all going to be waiting outside and we're going to be like, well, hold on. He's got to finish this record first <laughs> yeah, or, or this EP or this, you know, like, and it's just, uh, it blows my mind because like, I can't think of anybody else that was like that other than like a Lemmy from like motorhead, you know, in, in the sense of just sure. like constantly, just having to having to create and whether whether it's new material or not it's new to us you know it's new sure. it's new to the listeners um and i just it, it's it's funny because you know like my wife criticizes me about that too she's like it's never over like why can't you just take a, a vacation you know but it's it but it's inspiring to me to to see guys like you out there doing that like where it's like no i'm i'm not i'm never satisfied with the status quo i want i want to just kind of keep pushing forward um, well, my running joke is the blame, honestly, is like a train. I mean, that thing is, is flying down the track. You either get on or you don't. Like, that's a conversation I have to have with the band members when they're slacking, to be honest. Yeah. Is I'm like, look, I want you to do this. You guys said you wanted me to do this. I'm doing it. So now, to this point, get on or don't. Now, Jim is 100%. Yeah. The other half of that. Like, Jim and I have our talks where we go, what about this? What about that? And then we just try to work out the logistics. Um, I do have the secret weapon that I follow the Emory culture pretty close. And those guys have got it figured out, man. Well, they do. And usually to be honest, what's been kind of fun lately is after the crap I'm doing, they've already just finished and I don't even know about it until after the fact. So I'll be like, Oh, you know, like we've been working on the demos for redoing this first album, the 2021. Uh, for a while now and then emory just redid their first album yeah you know so i was like but i you know so some of me when i hear that stuff get like oh man i don't want to copy emory but then i'm like i was already doing this i don't care i'll never be as big as emory so i don't care i don't care i don't care i'm just gonna do it and our fans i hate the word fans our music community seems to appreciate the content so we all are in this together it's great you know the same thing we did the christmas recording and they emailed me saying, hey, check out our Christmas CP we did. And I was like, son of a gun. I just <laughs> finished ours and haven't released it yet. But it wasn't enough where it was going to stop me. I was just like, I'm happy that we're in the same creative mindset. Sure. I, dude, I think it's awesome. Like, it, it's it's cool. And it's inspirational for me when I feel lazy. And I'm like, you know, like at the beginning of this year, I was like, 
just kind of riding off the coattails because I mean, as bad as 2020 was, 2020 was for a lot of people. It was good for me in a podcast sense, in the sense sure. that like, you know, I had amazing people come out of the woodwork and be like, yeah, dude, you know, I know I told you no yeah. uh, last year, but I've got some time now. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. The listeners at time, the guests at time. Yeah. You know, so like I can, I can sit down and, and have a two hour conversation with somebody that I really, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I have really no business talking to, you know, but it's one of those like, uh, everybody, everybody had time. So it went really well. And I, but I remember like kind of riding on the coattails of that and being like, Oh, you know, 2020 was a great year as far as content. You know, I got messages from people being like, Hey, thank you so much for continuing to make podcasts through all of this. It was really great and all that, whatever. And I just took that as like, Oh yeah, you know, that's great. You know, give yourself a pat on the back or whatever it is. But then, you know, we, we go into 2021 and I'm like, I remember Joe messaging me and being like, Hey man, um, you got like three or four interviews ready for me to like mess with. Right. And I'm like, yeah, about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it was one of those, like I, you know, um, if you don't stay on me that like I'll, I'll take breaks and I'll, I'll stop doing things. And, um, but then, you know, I, I kind of look at, I kind of look at, at guys like you and I'm like, you know, I need to always be doing something. Um, because if I, if I, if I cease to do, then I just kind of like, lose kind of kind of sort of a sense of myself i guess in a way and so i i think it was inspirational and a lot of it a lot of it you know a lot of my drive in 2020 was watching those videos watching those uh, and you guys were always doing stuff even, even if it wasn't covers the, the, there were so many videos um in in 2020 and you know and i thought it was even cool you guys did the live stream with um flatfoot and um that was a great evening for me. I was literally like, it came downstairs. Like I have nothing to do because I wasn't interviewing people, which is what I should have been doing. Uh, but it was one of those, like, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to sit down, sit here and watch the blame now for, you know, you know, for an hour. And, uh, and that was cool. And then you guys did another live stream after that or whatever. So like, I think, um, I think to a certain extent, you know, I think that maybe you're doing a lot of this, you know, for you, as far as like, you want to keep yourself motivated, you, you know, stay on top of things but like the 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 side effect of that is you know guys like me that are like oh man i need to be like stepping it up a little bit you know i need to be like you know like like all, always doing always planning always seeing ahead so yeah um for i sure. think like, we, we look at everything definitely a, a full year you know when i say we're doing a we're doing 2021 this year we're not talking may sure It'll probably come out this summer or later you know? sure and I don't know how you sit on stuff like that for so long, you know. Uh, it's actually just that it takes us that long to do. Yeah, for me, it's like it's like if I have something that I know is going to happen, it's hard for me not to just like blab about it, you know. <laughs> like it's oh sure, yeah, yeah. You know? well, we uh, so when we did the churches hurting people, right record. There was so much hype pre that album coming out when it wasn't done yet. Yeah, it drove me nuts because I wasn't necessarily doing it. And that really made me almost like, I don't like, I don't like the, uh, the pre-announcement. Like even this, I don't love pre-announcing for 2021, but I don't mind because I know we're going to do it. And then we're even going to do the songs that are dumb on that record. We're literally going to play every song on it. I think the only spoiler alert will be on not doing an acoustic version of the ballad on it. Sure. That's awesome though. Yeah. 
I'm stoked for it. And you like, you remember what I said about, uh, about that record, you know? Yeah. You don't even like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. Um, I'm saying you just said you didn't like it. Okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Uh, but I'm putting words in your mouth. That's fine. It, you know, if, if there was somebody I was going to let do it, you know, um, but like, I, I think it's awesome. And I, I, and I appreciate, I appreciate how humble you are and I appreciate how, you know, you, um, but I also think that to a certain extent, you know, kind of an attaboy is, is appropriate in the sense that like you, you, you know, the things that you do, whether they mean a lot to you or not, or you don't think they're a big deal, they're a big deal to the people that, that people like me that are kind of watching and kind of well, listening thanks. and kind of staying, keeping our ear to the ground and stuff. So, um, you've had, you've had a hell of a career. You've had, you know, you've gotten to meet people. You've got to be involved in things behind the scenes, uh, sometimes in front of the scenes, um, that, you know, I, I think, I think most people would, would absolutely be salivating over, you know, some of the opportunities. So, um, we, I guess what I'm trying to say collectively as people that are fans of not just the blame, not just the satire, but also like just you in general, uh, we, we appreciate you, man. The community. Yeah, we do. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'm sorry if I'm the first person to say it. I don't think that I am though. Uh, <laughs> I'm not good at, comp- at receiving compliments. So. I understand. I don't expect you to say anything back on that, but I no, just, I know I just, well, I just meant I, I know how big of a doofus I am. So sure. I mean, you know, I, uh, I can relate to that. People always tell me good job and I'm like, Oh dude, that was a disaster. Yeah, no, I think you do a great job. The LS thing was great, you know, so the LS thing okay. was, was super cool, but yeah. Uh, Ask me your LS question. That can be our closing. How about that? All right. Uh, a living sacrifice question. Well, I thought you said you had one. I do. Uh, I have a couple, but I'll, I'll try to limit it to just one. No, ask the couple. Cause it's a fun topic that never gets talked about in my interviews. Okay. So this is, this is controversial and it actually has nothing to do with you filling in the band. Um, okay. The first oh, time way, I love this topic. Sorry. The first That's time why. you heard living sacrifice, did you ever expect them to go as far as they have gone? That's an unfair question. I had their dumb demo tape. Okay. Well, let's ignore not yielding to ungodly. I had the demo tape. DJ and I traded demos. I don't man. have the demo. Ugh. I, I wonder if DJ trade. does. I'm going to, I'm going to message DJ after this and be like, dude, do you have, do you have the demo? Cause I want the demo. I sent, I bought the demo from a mail order dad in a magazine. And then I sent him my demo for fun. Okay. So, uh, it's a tough question with LS. Cause I was there through all of it as like, Bruce was really big on the blamed. Sure. He was always really supportive of the blamed. And so when I heard DJ quit, so the way the routing was, I'm from the West Coast originally. Yeah. When you leave, if you're smart, when you leave California, you take 40 out to like, I don't know, Kansas City or something. And then you split off from there. You avoid the Rockies. You avoid Route 10 through the desert. So we always did that. We always ended up in Little no matter what felt like our first show on every tour was Kansas city or Memphis. And then, so I was always at Lance's house. They were like family to me. You know, his parents would let us come stay there. So I remember being on the 21 tour. I don't think DJ had quit the band yet. And 
they're having band practice at Lance's house, and it's Lance, Bruce, and Jason, and they're just practicing their set without DJ. And we got to sit in and watch. And it was so much fun. So so that that's my point of like we were just kind of there through all of it. Then you fast forward DJs not in the band anymore, steps down, and they put out the whatever they call it, the 95 demo tape or something. And still looking for a copy of that, by the way. They went on tour with the blamed and we were falling apart. There's a lot of like the blamed history that we don't ever get into of like you know, like ninety-five with the blame goes on tour and like three shows are with circle of dust, three shows are with live and sacrifice or most tours with LS or something. It's like a pretty well set up tour. And right before we go, Jeremy quits the band. Um, Jim says he can't go. My backup drummer can't go. I get a kid from our church to fill in for us. And we just played the worst set I've ever played in my life for a month on the road. And I've got Living Sacrifice going on tour with us with a demo tape to keep trying to reestablish their career. And it's just a total train wreck. So so at that point, did I see the future of LS? Well, I mean, they were phenomenal. Like, we would come out every night and we would do, if you're familiar with Frail, we did Declaration Dead and Weakness from that record. And Lance would jump on our drum kit and play. And Jason Truby would jump on the mic and sing. And we did that for a long time. And then we were setting up to do the Again record. I actually asked Jason Truby to sing on the record. But at that point, he basically told me in private he was leaving the band. So so there was no way he could leave LS and then sing for the blind. Right. So yeah. without causing some kind of weird feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he was we weren't doing that much, you know. So I was like, well, Jason, we only play a couple times a year, but he was like, no way. So, but either way, so then when, but Bruce had already taken over singing. We knew that was going to be huge and great. And then Reborn drops, and you're like, so from there, yeah, when you saw Reborn drop, you were like, this is the future. You know, this is, I get that there's a lot of these Sepultura moments on this record, but I still would listen to Reborn over any Sepultura record. Yeah. So I remember, I remember actually saying about it whenever I first heard Reborn that like it's like chaos, it's like chaos AD but better. Yeah, you know, it's it's more interesting because chaos AD is a great record, but it almost is almost like a proof of concept. Yeah, and and then Jason quits the band. They go on another small hiatus. At that point in '98, Lance was filling in for the blind all the time for Jim, so we knew what was going on behind the scenes with them. They got a new guy named Rocky. The Kesso Karras had broke up. They were trying to get Arthur to play baseball. And maybe thinking about getting a percussion player. So then post all that, the hammering process comes out. And you're like, Holy this crap. is phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my answer to the last question. Is I was kind of there through it. So it was, it's hard to have that, that perspective. Uh, this is a question that I'm going to end up eventually asking Bruce, but I'm going to ask you instead. Because you're here, uh, were they playing like inhabit non-exist? Like whenever they before they like okay, in that transitionary period where Bruce took over as the singer, were they still playing old material? The tour we did with them was almost it only was the couple songs from the demo and then all old material. Oh wow, okay. I've always I've always been interested in hearing what Bruce would have sounded like on on some of that old stuff. 
And uh, I've been actually trying to talk him into for years. Yeah. Redoing it. Yeah. But at the same time, but at the same time, I'm such good buds with DJ now that like, I would want to hear him redo it. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those, you know, um, I know it's one of the weirdest relationships, like friendships that I, that I've established from doing the podcast is, uh, you know, I said a whole bunch of stuff about DJ's vocals, like not being as good as Bruce's. And then, um, he reaches out and then like, is like super chatty and super fun and cool. And, I'm yeah, like, awesome. yeah, and so now, now, now I've, I've got like a much more. I don't know if it's because of that personal connection or whatever, like what separates re- music reviewer from friend or whatever. But like, I listen to DJ on Inhabit and on the self titled, uh, and I'm just like, yeah, dude, DJ's awesome. Like, I want to hear, you know, yeah. I want to hear him now. And he he did a guest vocal on a, on a newer band's uh, EP, uh, and you know, it was awesome. I remember like being there for it. Like the like, yes, yeah. let's, let's hear DJ. And I, I know what you're talking about. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, he was, was incredible. I just meant from the perspective of seeing, we toured with Bruce singing the old songs. So I was like, Bruce, just redo these old songs. Yeah. Everybody knows you as a singer and not, and it's not a trash on DJ. It's just two different worlds, you know? Yeah. It's two different types of music fans too. Yeah. If you're if you're a metalcore guy, you know, that grew up on Azalea Dying and Killswitch Engage and stuff, you want to hear Bruce. Yeah. You know, but like if you're an old school metal fan and you appreciate stuff like Obituary and, you know, like like some of those earlier death metal bands, like what DJ was doing wasn't like all that different than what a lot of the death metal bands were doing at the I time. I love Yeah, I love DJ. I even love uh, not just like to me because of the punk rock in me is like, yeah. It's effed up in all the right ways. <laughs> uh, non-existent. It's so it, that that album is such a hard sell on my co-hosts. Uh, whenever because sure. we we've done Living Sacrifices discography a couple times because I just I love the band so much that I just sure. felt the need to do it twice, you know. And uh, that that was yeah, non-existent. Always like because we had a a different co-host for the second uh, discography discussion on Living Sacrifice. And even he was like, yeah, non-existence got a lot of really cool music on it, but like, what's the deal with those vocals? And, um, and you know, it's, and after having DJ, you know, on the show and having him be like, look, you know, we, we honestly thought that whenever REX heard this, that they would make us, you know, go back and redo it or something. Uh, and instead I guess they were just like, yep, sounds good. Let's go ahead and ship it. (laughs) You know, um, but yeah, that that's definitely one of the weirdest friendships that I've that I've developed through this is like DJ being such an amazing person. He's great. I, yeah, like I agree. I love when he sends me pictures of retro things. It's so much fun. He's got an amazing collection. Like I want I in part of me because like Little Rock's not that far from where I'm at. Like yeah, just go down and have lunch with him. Yeah, once everything's all chill. I, yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna drive down there. We're gonna hang. Uh, he's going to show me all of his cool stuff that he's collected over the years. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You know, the bummer is that I think the live stream world is probably coming to an end. And, but otherwise I would say, man, when we do the LS live stream, just coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm down for that. I was going to come to the show, the, the blamed and living sacrifice show, because that, that was one of those, that was one of those situations where like I would have just bought a ticket and drove up there and then, you know, kind of been like, Hey guys, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm that guy that does that show, yeah. you know? 
um, and see how far that got me, you know, past security or whatever. But like, you just would have to text me and you, I would have been like, cool. Yeah. Help me carry these lights. <laughs> yep. I'd be like, all right, great. I got these lights. Where do you want them? You know, like, um, but yeah, like, and I remember that was super disappointing. That's actually when I, whenever I realized how serious, like a lot of this stuff was, because I was like, I'm going to go to the show. It's going to be so cool. Cause it didn't get, it didn't get canceled right away. And so there was still hope that like, okay, this is the last cool thing I'm going to get to do before we have to like all go lock down or whatever, you know? Uh, but then it was like, no, sorry, it's, it's over, you know, cancel your plans. Yeah. Game over, man. It's crazy. But so the, um, the, the fun topic, I'll probably even bring it up. It's funny, but the LS conversation is like, I think it was Matt Carter and I were talking because he did a Bruce. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I thought it was great too. But Matt Carter was even talking. He's like, I've heard your name mentioned. Is this really true? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm their lighting guy. Whatever, then, you, um, whatever you've heard, it's all true. <laughs> but so when Matt and I were talking, he was like, I can't picture LS without Bruce. Right? None of us can. I mean, he's but, always been in the band. I mean, but the thing that's that's hard to paint the picture. So I thought about this after watching the doc. Is that if you think about that year or that time frame, it was like Dallas left under oath. Um, you know, you had Zay had already been doing a bunch of tours with Corey on vocals. Yeah, and then eventually you had um, what's his name, Chris from uh, what was that Solid State band? Uh, with the knife fight song or something, the um, sinus, sinus, no, yeah, Sinus. Yeah, yeah. He had done a bunch of fill-ins for them, so you had all these. You know, you're dealing with the inhale, exhale. I got signed at a different singer. Eventually, Josh would go on to leave Norma Jean. I mean, nobody thought Norma Jean would exist without Josh. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, so you, that's what's funny in that concept of time and space is when you think about it as I was like, just uh, that, that was that year. You think about tooth and nail solid state, you know, under oath, not the original singer that was on the first record. Right. You know, just every one of these bands on their roster lost their vocalist. I mean, outside of Emory, I don't even know if I can think of one that, uh, you know, Ace Today lost their singer. Yeah. Jane Singers. Yeah. Yeah. I so. actually tried out to be the singer of Ace Today. Um, but I was like a kid. So like, you know, uh, I think the demo tape I sent him was awesome, but you know, I wish I still had a copy of that. I sent him the only copy of it. Yeah. He didn't know any better. <laughs> Did not hear back. Uh, but yeah, like that's, that, that's just one of those things that like, yeah, everybody lost their singer all, all yeah. around the same time. And it's so funny because like you look at the rock world in general, the singer is, I don't want to say they're the most important member of the band. Although if you ask any singer, they will say that that is the case. Um, yeah. But like, it's so funny in this like metal core world or whatever, like most people that are into Norma Jean only know Norma Jean because of Corey. Yeah. You know, most people that know under oath only know under oath because of Spencer, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, as dying, they at least kept Tim, but then Tim had kind of like a big, you know, weird life change you know, yep. is like the most sensitive way I can say that. Um, but like, no, totally. you know, uh, there, the there was, there lost McCadden. Yeah. The famine, famine lost McCadden. Although that, that lost McCadden. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, I love that dude's voice. Like 
I do too. So, that's just what I mean. Like there was this thing in that timestamp that, uh, that I just think it's an interesting topic. That's all. Totally. Totally. We could do a whole, we could do a whole nother podcast. On yeah. That. Yeah. So. I'd like for you fast forward to 2021 and you ask me about LS without Bruce. And I'm like, I tipped her. It doesn't even compute. Doesn't make sense. And it makes sense yeah. too how that all went down when Bruce was going to leave the band and they were going to have Corey, you know, do it. And, uh, and Corey's even said in interviews, he's like, yeah, I don't know, man, I tried doing it, but like, I couldn't just something didn't feel right about it. You know, like it just, it wouldn't, you know, cause like the dude's got, you know, the voice for it. I think even the most part, he's got the guitar chops for it. Oh, he's got the guitar chops. Yeah. He's like a hundred percent. Like, so like it would have been the real deal. It would have been, a, yeah. it would have been, you know, probably like like it, again if we lived in an alternate reality where it took over it whenever we um w- would inevitably do the discography discussion on it however many years later i'd be like it's one of the best vocalist replacements i've ever heard <laughs> you know what i mean like it's one of yeah. those not not that Corey sounds like bruce but like you know like if you imagine if they had put a couple records out with Corey or like it had sounded well, like that it's just Corey sounds like Corey, and that's where it would have been amazing just hear yeah Corey do his own thing so Again, and I, I just only brought it up because I thought it's an interesting topic. That it is on on the heels of that uh, documentary we just watched, which is amazing. Of just you know, you're like, yeah, it was, it was. It doesn't make sense living sacrifice without Bruce, and I'm glad it didn't happen. But at the same point, if it would have happened, it really that the date that we're talking about, it made sense. Yeah. But that's that's about it, you know. And then, but even you hear when they talk about um, I was glad to hear Bruce talk about it because him and I have joked about it. Yeah, is when he talked about um, whatever he said about conceits and fire in the documentary, I thought was great. Yeah, you know, because they were talking about how they just were tired, exhausted. Yeah, yeah, and there so there was some of that as being like, like I said, I'm a music nerd on a scientific level. I remember even telling Bruce back then because he would bring the blame to it all the time. He's really supportive to us. And I was like, because he would talk about that record. I was like, well, you can hear it. And it's weird because when you go in and listen to it, Bruce's vocals are probably bigger than they've ever been on that record. He sounds like a monster on that record. Yeah. But it doesn't have the vigor that the hammering process and reborn had. So everybody that listens, that's how Bruce and I would talk about it. He probably hates me saying this, but is that. Everybody prefers his voice on those two records, but you don't catch that he's singing a million times better on Conceit and Fire. Every record's an improvement, but the songs you want to hear on those first two Bruce records. The only reason I ever realized it was because, so really my role with LS is on their lighting deck if they can afford it or it's that kind of show or whatever. I love being their lighting guy. to learn all the cues. It's a great role to have. I could hang out with my best friends. And then, um, so I made an iPod playlist back in the day of the set list in order for me to practice my lighting cues. Yeah, sure. And listening to this, everything disjointed, I was like, you can hear it. But it took that for me to understand what Bruce was talking about because I was like, hammering process all the way, you know? (laughs) Sure, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I agree with that because you can definitely 
You can definitely hear it, but it definitely did take Bruce saying it on the documentary to really solidify what that feeling was. Well, and again, we were touring with him, so we saw it. Sure. And then I eventually went into the role of being almost in the band. Yeah. So I, I was seeing the tail end of that. So but anyways, well, that's it. I will let you be. It's two hours. Yeah, man. Uh, if anybody's dissatisfied, sorry. Uh, you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if, you're, if you're dissatisfied, start your own podcast. Well, yeah, we can. I mean, that's what I did, right? Uh, but you know, yeah. the uh, uh, yeah. I mean, if you guys if you guys want to hear a whole history of the blame and all that, definitely go and listen to uh, as the story grows uh, with Brian Patton. He does a he does a whole interview with Brian and uh, Brian and Brian talks to Brian for an hour and um, and they talk about the whole history of the blamed and, and all of that and. Um, I just didn't want to have that same conversation over again, uh, just because it's it's out there. You guys can you guys can go listen to it. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate all you guys that have watched the, uh, the live stream, and uh, I've got some cool stuff in my pocket uh, coming up soon. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that, and uh, we will catch you guys later. Brian, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was this was a lot of fun. Thanks for tolerating my voice. Hey, man. Your voice doesn't sound that bad. Come on, man. Like, everybody's all like, uh, you know, you, everybody's like, yeah, you guys, you still have Brian Gray on the podcast. And I'm like, yeah, he, he keeps saying his voice doesn't work. It seemed to work fine tonight. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's not what you, I'm sure it's not what you, you know, wanted it to be, but hey, you're good, man. You're good. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And tell Joe I love him. Oh, I will. This has been the Discuss Metal Podcast with Brian Gray of The Blamed. Presented by DiscussMetal.com Where's your life? Half open, half no fear The truth walks by your side 